We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. More discussion of 2022 rookie drafts, including a focus on the QBs. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter. Hey, yards per Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bangershotsubstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who's doing a ton of great work over at Rotoviz, lining up the pre-draft rookie stuff. You guys are turning out a ton of content. I know you... Even the ones that don't necessarily have your byline, you are reading and working through with some of the other writers. Should be reading everything over at Rotoviz right now. It is fantastic work. Sean, last episode, we talked about uh, pre-NFL draft rookie drafts that each of us are in. Yours was just getting started. It's now well into the second round. Mine is coming to a, a conclusion. It was already into the third when we talked last. But we, you have noticed some really interesting quarterback stuff in your draft, especially. In mine, I was surprised even in a single quarterback draft. Yours is super flex. How late the, sort of the second tier of quarterbacks has, have gone. And so we just really wanted to talk through this quarterback class a little bit. There seems to be some real opportunity here relative to where these guys are kind of expected to go. The draft capital they're going to get. If you're in dynasty leagues prior to the NFL dra- that are drafting rookies prior to the NFL draft, it seems like a really great year to potentially get some quarterbacks that have real draft capital at a pretty big discount right now. But yeah, how you doing? Good, good, and thanks for the kind words about Rotoviz. As always, I think that 2022 is probably the year that we've seen the most engagement and enthusiasm and excitement from the writing team and it's just the development of fantasy football has been awesome right we have all of this best ball content now and all these best ball drafts we have these early dynasty leagues and so many cool dynasty formats including the rotaviz triflex format at the ffpc that we're going to talk a little bit about here it's just it's such a fun time of the year i'm going to have a ton of these rookie profiles going up on the site in anticipation of the nfl draft and then you and i have some cool things that we're hoping to do with the draft. We'll have obviously those reactions as we see where players go. But Ben, you mentioned the quarterbacks here, and there just are so many interesting nuggets in terms of how this is playing out in actual drafts. 
and then what that kind of means for draft tactics, right? So we pull up the ADP for these early TriFlex leagues, and we see Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, the first, first three names off the board, Jonathan Taylor, not a huge surprise with where he's at, then Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Kyler Murray. And so six of the top eight quarterbacks, the two sort of young transcendent stars at the other two positions in there. Then you get Justin Jefferson, Dak Prescott, Kyle Pitts, and Deshaun Watson. So again, with Pitts, the potential for this to be a transcendent player. And Justin Jefferson, I mean, he gets lost a little bit sometimes with Jamar Chase and what he did. But Justin Jefferson, you know, perhaps the best first two years combined of any wide receiver you know, really this century. And so you're looking at that and you're thinking, okay, well, it's it's the QBs and the superstars. And then that continues to play out in round two where we have Trey Lance, Russell Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields in the second round. And that's not necessarily wrong, but Ben, that's interesting, right? Because when we talk about the scenarios that could have played out in 2021 for these rookie QBs, it's hard to see it going that much worse for Trey Lance than not winning the starting job and then heading into the offseason, you know, these rumors coming out of San Francisco that he may not be the starter next year. <laughs> You'd be hard pressed to think of anything that could have possibly been worse than what happened in Jacksonville last year. And then Justin Fields, the coach gets fired. I mean, that's probably a positive, but you know, we're hearing about the Bears embarking on this massive teardown. He doesn't have a lot of weapons. And I was so excited for fields in year two and it's impossible with this roster to be anything other than terrified for what's going to happen with him yeah so these guys are the round two qbs and we understand the value of young quarterbacks and super flex but then we look all the way down to see where this year's rookie class would be and you have matt corral and kenny pickett in round nine you have malik willis obviously then going earlier there at the beginning of round four but round nine for the second and third guys and it's not necessarily clear that those players will end up as the second and third guys in terms of actual value desmond ritter sam howell also interesting and then that kind of st stood out with us within the context of how our rookie drafts are going you mentioned that no one is interested in quarterbacks in your one qb league and then in the super flex league that i'm participating in these guys have dropped so far that I mean, Sam and I are picking him mid-second round, right? So we have the first three names, Brees Hall, Malik Willis, Drake London. That's all to a single participant who did a nice job of acquiring the first three picks. So he kind of balances out his positions there. But then the next quarterback goes at 110 with Corral. We have a situation then where you're looking at the third QB, was still available to us at the 205. You have Sam Howell, you have Kenny Pickett and Desmond Ritter. And, uh, you know, one of the things here, Ben, and we've kind of gamed out how we think the NFL draft is going to go, but you look at where quarterbacks who just failed are going in their second years in super flex startups. These guys wouldn't necessarily have to be awesome to gain a ton of value from where we're seeing go right now would you would you say that's the case yeah i mean so one of the things you've said to me i think we've said it on the show you said it on the show at some point but maybe not but you've said to me for at least about a month i mean we have a lot of you and i i was wind up talking before and after shows for a good amount of time as well is this idea that all you have had this idea and i, I love this idea because i think it crystallizes 
this point, I've even brought this idea of yours and said, you know, Sean thinks this is going to happen to other people. And they're like, hmm, that's really interesting that all five of these quarterbacks are going to go in the first 45 picks. They're either going to go in the first round or they're going to go to some of those QB needy teams at the top of the second round who, who have a high concentration of those early second round picks. And when you think about it like that, I mean, another thing you said to me is after the show last week or earlier this week is that people seem to be after Willis is off the board, especially Willis is crystallized as a QB one, but people seem to be afraid sort of to make that decision on who the next quarterback is going to be. And you can make a case for all four, which is really interesting. Howell's the one that's sort of forgotten about, which we're going to definitely have to get into because you guys did have the choice of Howell, Pickett, or Ritter and went with Howell. So that is very interesting. But even considering that he's sort of forgotten about it, if you go over to grinding the mocks, all five of these quarterbacks have an average expected draft position of Howell's is fifth at 36.9. So basically the seventh pick of the um, second round, or he's he's 39th in in rank of, of that, you know, the average draft position rank. So if he's like the 39th guy, he's going to be about the seventh pick of the second round. And he's the fifth quarterback off the board. We're talking about, you have Ritter as the 34th highest on average projected draft pick. You have Corral at 31 and Willis and Pickett are both routinely projected in the top 15. And there's been talk of other guys going higher as well. There Ritter is the one that I'm really intrigued by. And I saw a tweet this week that there were there's a lot of teams that have him as you know, have a first round grade on Desmond Ritter. I believe the tweet said all of them. I can't remember who sent the tweet. Apologies, but perhaps as many as every team has a first round grade on Desmond Ritter. D- Dane Brugler just released a seven round mock draft today. He has Ritter going at number twenty to the Steelers, which I thought was a really exciting and optimistic vision for what could happen with Ritter, who's a guy who has mobility and people seem to really like um, his decision-making and and some of the things that he does. I like the fact that he was a four-year starter and by his senior season led Cincinnati to the college football playoff. I mean, I know QB wins is, you can obviously say that's not a stat, but I, I don't think we should knock guys who don't necessarily win in college or don't necessarily win in the pros when it's not their fault essentially because you have to build a team around a quarterback it's pretty challenging for a quarterback to overcome you know bad coaching and a bad roster i do think we can give a little bit of a bonus to guys who have this ability to over perform potentially expectations a guy like ritter leading cincinnati to the college football playoff to me that's like sort of a positive note in the sense of like, okay, he probably does the things that a lot of the film people are saying as well, that he makes good decisions and he stays on schedule and he knows how to get through his reads. That's the type of stuff that leads NFL evaluators, first of all, to like him, second of all, to then want to play him and keep playing him because he's not making a lot of bad decisions. So he's really interesting. That that mock draft had Corral going early in the second and Howell not far behind him. Pickett as the first quarterback off the board at six and Willis at eight. So he had those two guys in the top 10. But this idea that you have proposed that all of these five guys could go in the top 45 picks, which is reflected by the expected draft position and everything else, it's crazy uh, that these early drafts, like in my single QB league, I was sitting there at 310 on, on our last episode, hoping that I would get potentially Ritter. 
and potentially as the fifth quarterback because I expected there might be a, this run in the third round. And the whole third round went through without any other quarterbacks. I was able to trade into 309, and I took Corral and Ritter back-to-back at 309 and 310 in a single QB league. This, I mean, I that roster needs quarterbacks, and, and not every roster does in single QB. That's one of the realities. But these guys are going behind, as you put it, some really questionable NFL players, frankly, or NFL prospects. It's questionable to ever really even play at the NFL level. And they're quarterbacks that we know are going to have draft capital or we feel very confident. If you if you buy into this idea that all five are going to go in the top 45 picks, like I'm very, very limited opportunity costs at this stage of a single QB draft. I am more than willing to take a shot on a couple of these guys and be like, hey, maybe I'm going to have an opportunity to solve my QB situation if if they do hit. You know, it's it's a little like, I mean, maybe not exactly like, but we've used the Justin Herbert example before where Justin Herbert was just completely ignored even after going in the the top 10, right? Like going very high in the NFL draft. He was pretty ignored in, in fantasy drafts. And now he's, you know, a first round pick, as you just said, in, in super flex startups. The quarterback position is obviously much different in single QB and super flex. You are in a super flex draft right now, but you've seen similar trends. And this idea that these quarterbacks are not worth more even accounting for the league type or the you know the settings than some pretty questionable prospects like we said who may not get any draft capital and maybe don't even have that great of profiles this is not a deep class we know that just because everyone is sort of number one maybe a little afraid of picking which of the quarterbacks they prefer number two no one really likes this quarterback class it's not a great quarterback class but this idea that you could potentially get a QB with some real draft capital that's going to get opportunities to win a job and I mean, I think you put it, the nail on the head when you when you were talking about the super flex ADP. You're saying that Lance and Lawrence and Fields are all second round startup picks right now, and none of them had good year one outcomes. They all had bad year one outcomes, objectively really bad. And they do have a lot of draft capital. They were the 101, the 103, and I think the 112 in the real draft. And some of these other guys maybe won't go that high, but like Kenny Pickett is being projected on average as like the 12th overall pick and as high as like six. And he's going in the ninth round of a startup. I, I'm not particularly high on Pickett, um, and we'll get into some of those reasons. But this idea that you know just drafting him in the ninth round right now of a super flex startup might just get you a top ten overall pick in the NFL draft, who then gets to play a lot in year one. I mean, even Zach Wilson is is going in the sixth round of startups, going three rounds ahead of Pickett. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Mac Jones is going in the fifth round. Tua is going in the fifth round. Tua was a, a top 10 pick who has not done anything. The optim I mean, there's obviously a lot of optimism about getting Tyree Kill, but the optimism about him as a player has certainly only faded from when he was drafted. What What is with this disconnect between the expected draft capital for these QBs and where they're going in drafts right now? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? No, I don't think that it does, but it, it is a situation where I think going through the scenarios is very important. And that's one of the things that we do like to emphasize on the show. And I, there are two basic things that could happen big picture. Number one is that the teams that need quarterbacks are trying to conceal that to an extent. And when the draft actually happens, they're going to be fighting for these guys. The second thing that could happen is that we see them play chicken with each other a little bit more than usual. And one of the things I'm always surprised by is that you don't see more of the NFL teams when you have 
a tier break where you, you have tiers and you have guys within the tier and you know that someone within that tier is going to last to you. Why are you spending all of this ammunition to move up and select a similar guy in that tier? Now, sometimes we know that they have different grades on the players and they may not have them in the same tier, but you do sort of see this arms race of like, we both want players within this tier we're going to both move up and kind of fight each other even though the market outside of that maybe doesn't justify it but one of the things that we see in this class is that there are eight teams that you could easily put a qb with and that when you go through the mocks people are, are mocking qb soup because those eight teams still need a quarterback and three of them i think almost for sure are going to take a QB in Pittsburgh, Carolina, and your Seattle Seahawks. And then we have five more that very easily could get in there. And then you could even add the Indianapolis Colts who have Matt Ryan. But if a guy falls to them in the 40s in the second round, I mean, those guys are going to be gone, right? I think that you're likely going to see the last QB go by Seattle's pick at number 41. If not, then by Atlanta's pick at number 43. But we do see picks, we do see guys mocked to the Saints, even number 49, but they're not going to make it past that point. And I wouldn't be that excited about a, a quarterback with the Saints because that is one where maybe you're not going to win the starting job. But the fact of the matter is that when drafters are concerned about hitting the guy who ends up without a chair, these guys are going to all have chairs, right? And so you don't have to worry about it from that perspective. And if they do fall, it's only because these teams are saying, look, there are five of them. Let's get the last guy instead of the first one. And one of the reasons why I think that's more realistic is that these guys actually are pretty close together. You mentioned that Howell is projected at the back, but he's the best prospect, right? And so there are some teams out there almost certainly who are thinking that way and like, you know, there's no reason for us to put out anything that suggests that that's our guy. We don't want to move him up. I mean, maybe we don't have him separated by a lot, but if we could get him last, that would be great. And one of the things, you know, you were mentioning about the Steelers, if Ritter goes there, that would be very exciting. We see some reports that if they miss on Willis, it's either going to be Ritter or Howell. Again, I mean, Howell could be at that spot in the first round with the Pittsburgh Steelers and those weapons that they have, right? So these guys should all be going based on the fact that they're going to be starting QBs week five, week six in the 2022 season. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, uh, I think the, the headline or the underlying line right now is if, if you can get exposure to these guys now, you have to, right? Like wh however you're drafting, because there's almost no scenario I can envision where they don't gain immense value after the NFL draft when we actually get the landing spots in the draft capital. I mean, you named, some of those teams. I know Washington is also on your list. Who are the other teams on your list? Yeah, so we have the Steelers, the Panthers, and the Seahawks pretty clear. Then the Falcons, the Texans, the Lions, the Commanders, and the Saints. And then even again, I think you can throw the Colts in there. Those guys are going to have the side. One of the very trendy spots to put a quarterback is to the Lions with their pick that they picked up at the end of the first round. And again, I mean, that's a situation where, yeah, they do have Jerry Goff, but that would be a pick where the Lions were committing to making that their QB, if not by midseason, at least by 2023. And a situation again there where in Dynasty especially, you've got to be on these guys. But even in best ball, I mean, these players, if you're taking them at the very ends of drafts, 
we know that the best ball history tells us that you want those guys in the window. Don't take those risks. But the other thing with this, Ben, is that Pickett is the guy who's the worst and the riskiest from a fantasy perspective. But then you get that counterbalance of he's the one guy who almost certainly isn't going to make it out of the top 20 of the real draft. And so you have that safety on the one of the five who has some red flags, both as a prospect and as a fantasy player, because he's the guy who's not going to add as much rushing value. Yeah, we should talk through the prospects for sure, maybe in the second half of the show and and lay out some of these points. Obviously, really want to get into uh, Howell, who you noted may be the best prospect of all. And I don't, he is the one that I'm not hearing that from a lot. And so hearing you say that, and we talked a little bit before the show about that, it's very interesting. Want to get your full thoughts on that for sure. But this Lions point is a great one. I mean, when they traded for Jared Goff, they knew they were stuck in two years. I just want to talk about his contract for a second. After next season, or this coming season, 2022, um, he has 10 million in dead money left on his deal. His cap hit the following two years. He's still under contract through 2024, so two more years. It's in the 30 millions for both years. They're almost certainly going to cut him after 2022. I mean, there's just not a lot of reason to keep him on the roster when you can free up over 20 million in cap savings in both 2023 and 2024 by incurring that 10 million of dead money. Whether they do it, you know, pre June one, it would be all 10 million on the 2023 cap, or post June one, they would get 5 million on both years. It's only 10 million left right now. They're in a situation where, um, if they were to have caught him this offseason, they would have incurred over 30 million in dead cap and freed up almost nothing. So that was known when they when they traded for him that he would be there in 2021. He would also be there in 2022. But to your point, if they do decide, even especially, I think you know, there's a talk that they might take a QB at two as well. But especially if they take one at, with that pick at the end of the first round, they probably start the season with Jared Goff. But they're not going to be particularly good this year. This is not a Lions team that's going to suddenly be in playoff contention. It makes a lot of sense then for them to be in a position where they do make that pick at the end of the first round and midway through this year, they're seeing what they have in this rookie. And we get, from a fantasy perspective, that player getting half a season of year one, getting some view of what he'll look like, and then and then getting Jared Goff cut. And he looks like he's, even if he doesn't succeed at the end of year one, that player is almost certainly going to be the starter in 2023. I mean, that's just the way that this looks when you look at the, the Jared Goff contract and where the Lions are at. Maybe if he, that player is incredibly bad, the Lions are then in the market to draft again in 2023 a quarterback, which would be the whole reason they would want to get him some playing time in 2022. But regardless, you're going to get that uh, draft capital and the opportunity to play. And that's one of the scenarios that looks least appealing for early playing time right because they do have a guy in golf who's there and has all this dead money and is going to be there but you look at the Steelers you look at the Falcons and the bridge QBs they brought in even Washington with bringing in Wentz like yeah they gave up more than they should have and he has this huge cap hit but nothing has been positive about that transaction in the public sphere and Washington's another team that's not going to win and it would not be all that surprising to see them move on from Wentz midseason as well so you have all of these teams like you said that that the opportunity will be there for a quarterback who is good enough or even just has draft capital to get some up, you know, to, to get some playtime. What happens in the regular season when you take a first round pick is everyone talks about it all year. The second that quarterback, that Carson went so that Jared Goff has a bad game. Everyone talks about when do we get to see the rookie quarterback? I mean, you can even go to Jared, uh, excuse me, Jordan Love, right? Being a late first round pick for the Packers. 
And that has dominated the conversation. Even as Aaron Rodgers won multiple MVPs, what do we do with this first round pick that we've never actually played? That has been a huge storyline. Obviously, the Trey Lance storyline is a huge storyline. It gets talked about ad nauseum until we see these guys play. And so it will progress for, especially in a lot of these situations, like you said, in a way that it's that idea that everything will progress the same direction for these quarterbacks getting an opportunity at some point. It's kind of a, I don't know if I necessarily would call it anti-fragile, but like whatever chaos there is, whether there's an injury or a bad game or whatever, it probably is progressing positively for that rookie getting on the field and with the draft capital, right? And so that is just like, it seems to be completely missed. So let's talk about your super flex draft. You took Sam Howell. You guys traded into the second round, I think you told me before the show, to take Sam Howell in the middle of the second. Corral had gone, you noted, but you guys took Howell as QB3 over Ritter Pickett. And Pickett is the one that, other than Willis, seems to have the clearest draft capital, as you said. So with Pickett, we have, as you just said, the draft capital side seems pretty secure. Profile is shakier. The guy like Howell, it's sort of the inverse. You really like his profile. The draft capital might be a little bit shakier. It seems like he's probably the one. He's not getting any buzz in any of these mock drafts. He's probably the one that's going to go fifth. But we can't be sure of that, right? Like there could be a team that really likes him and winds up taking him as the third QB. There could be a team like the Seahawks who decides he's their guy at nine. The Seahawks do stuff like this all the time. Hey, RotoViz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal RotoViz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year RotoViz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. But what do you really like about how? I, I know after the show last week, you, you made sort of this Justin Herbert comparison in that he was a guy who was a really strong prospect coming out of high school, was only ever really productive in college, 
and never at any point has been looked at other as differently other than as a good prospect. But basically because he lost a lot of the skill position players at North Carolina this last year, Deami Brown goes pro, both the running backs go pro, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. He's left with his worst passing season. He actually had his best passing yardage and passing TD seasons as a true freshman at North Carolina. And then his numbers came down basically each of the next two years. But he's a three-year guy. We know he's coming into the league a little bit young. He was a three-year starter. Pretty good passing numbers all three years. And that third year, he ends up, without the skill position players, putting a lot of it on his own back. And he runs for 800 yards and 11 touchdowns. And so he shows off some mobility as well. What What is it that you like about him from basically high school on that he's sort of always been this positively viewed player in the in the draft landscape? Yeah, so not coming in as the level of prospect or the level of recruit of Justin Herbert, who just obviously was this megastar right from the get-go, but someone who, as you mentioned, starts in is just absolutely fantastic. As a true freshman, you get this 38-7 to <laughs> touchdown to interception ratio. You have that jump the next year in terms of his adjusted yards per attempt where he's up over 11, and then again that fall-off. And I think these guys who are so good the whole time but have that weakest season in the final season as long as you don't have like true red flags cropping up there then those guys are just fantastic picks in fantasy because i mean you compare him to a kenny pickett right who for it'd be like sam howell playing next year again and then actually all four of those years actually not being good and then being successful the year after that and then being a better prospect in the nfl draft one of the things that really jumps out when you go through the different numbers and, and one of the things that i really did enjoy about our rookie guide this year is that dave and travis both had quarterback articles that look at it from different perspectives and are talking about things that translate to the nfl so the big metrics that dave is looking at here is our total yards percentile a total touchdowns percentile and then a max aya percentile how above 90 percent and all of those comes out for a 97th percentile average everybody else from this class is in the 80s and so that's i think where you're seeing people saying okay well the class isn't quite as strong but then the other side of that is that travis has this fantastic metric where he's removed play action he's removed the jet motion because those elements tend to inflate the passing numbers for college quarterbacks and so when we look at that, Kenny Pickett, 95th percentile, Howell, 94th percentile, Ritter, just under the 90th percentile, and then Corral and Willis, quite a bit lower. And so one of the things that you are seeing is, number one, that Sam, Sam Howell is the guy. And especially when you consider all of this rushing value, just extremely athletic. You'd like him to be a little bit taller, but extremely athletic, the big arm, and again, just someone who is such a perfect fit for what NFL teams do. Now, one of the things that I think when you look at this class, and one of the reasons that I, Malik Willis is so controversial but so interesting is that everyone is noting that his profile doesn't actually back up the draft status. There is a ton of projection and hope there in terms of this is a guy with elite athleticism he can move around and he's got the big arm. And we think that even though he wasn't the type of player in college that would justify a first round pick, we can see how he would make the leap. The other guys are a little bit cleaner. Now, Corral has a little bit of that as well, 
But Ritter and Howell and Pickett, maybe not so much. They're actually a little bit closer than what you're often hearing. Now, again, Pickett, the, the problem is just that it took him so long and you have fewer things to fall back on. But then one of the things that really jumps out with the NFL right now is that you have Lamar Jackson, a not particularly accurate quarterback. You have Deshaun Watson, a not particularly accurate quarterback. And Russell Wilson, a quarterback with this elite downfield accuracy, but not someone who is going to drop back and immediately make his throw to the first read. That's not how he works. These guys, though, are fantastic real-world QBs despite those weaknesses because their overall athleticism, and for a couple of those guys, Jackson and Wilson, especially the arm strength, the combination of things that they can do and the way that their teams use them make them superstars not just good but people who you know in in watson's situation the browns would basically mortgage the franchise for even with all these other things that make that a risk and so when you look at this class of guy when you have a howl a ritter a corral and a willis who are going to be able to extend these plays and make defenses defend you know, the, the red flag for several of them is, you know, can they make the early pass accurately enough to play at the NFL level? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you would want this guy who can be a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes, but even Josh Allen, I mean, there are some accuracy issues there. The thing that makes him unstoppable is this combination of arm strength and then rushing ability both to extend plays but also to create the first downs when the pass isn't there and so again it's not that we're necessarily saying that these prospects are going to be josh allen and lamar jackson and deshaun watson and russell wilson but you've got to look at some of the things that they do and the idea that they're a lot different than trey lance and justin fields especially after we've already kind of seen a little bit of where they're at i I think that that is a mistake because we have guys coming in with athleticism and these positive marks on the resume Wrapping it back around to how I just think that that, again, with quarterbacks, you know, anything could happen. There are a lot of busts. And I think that that's one of the things that people are looking and saying, look, there are a lot of busts. We didn't like Zach Wilson. It's almost like the Zach Wilson thing is knocking these guys down, even though people are still willing to take another chance with Trey Lance and Justin Fields. But I think you should be taking a chance with these guys already. Yeah, and and especially when we're talking cost adjusted. I mean, that's the the thing that is so hard to understand. You described Allen. Everything I hear about Willis, and this is actually built up where Willis is starting to get enough buzz that he's going, you know, in in super flex, he's going in the top three picks, as you noted. Even in my single QB league, he did go in the first round. But the the deal with him is like when you you talk about the mobility, there's obviously degrees in mobility. Willis has a ton of rushing production, right? Like lots and lots of yard, you know, look at rushing yards per game. We're talking about really high levels of rushing production. And so for him to succeed as a, as a fantasy player, you know, you might be talking about the Lamar Jackson or, or maybe like Jalen hurts level of rushing, then not needing quite as much as a passer, but he also brings a cannon of an arm. There's been sort of this like Michael Vick vibe with his discussions were like, yeah, this guy can also throw the ball a mile and, and has some good metrics on his deep accuracy. So y- you talked about Josh Allen. It's like the way that I keep hearing Malik Willis's early career, Josh Allen, where the guy had just a cannon of an arm, didn't necessarily have it reined in in the short to intermediate ranges yet was missing a lot of throws in those first couple of years has really progressed as a passer in those ways over the last couple of seasons. But 
But think about how Josh Allen actually took a step back as a passer again this year. And yet he's the easy QB one in every format. Yeah. But he has that ability to stretch defenses vertically, Willis and, and Allen and all of these guys, that ability to stretch defenses vertically and really strong rushing ability. I mean, it's also Lamar Jackson is in the other one name that gets brought in here where Jackson actually gets criticized sometimes for not being able to throw into the short and intermediate range. When you think about even like Mark Andrews, he's not necessarily used as similarly as a lot of other tight ends in the league on these like short over the middle routes. There's a lot of curls where he's sort of just standing still. And then there's a lot of seam routes where he's actually getting vertical because Jackson does throw these good deep balls and push the ball down the field. But a lot of the times it's the seam routes. It's getting more vertical and pushing it down the field. And I mean, that's maybe not a perfect characterization of Jackson, but the key is the way that it stresses a defense, obviously, is it forces the safeties to be deep. It forces this too deep shell that we're always talking about. Then that frees up some space usually for the quarterback to run. I mean, what, what we're seeing some defenses do is drop eight in coverage and throw spies at the quarterbacks and basically just say, we're going to force you to try to read the field with a bunch of dudes in coverage and not even really rush the passer, but also not allow you to run and just make this a really long play and force you to stand back there and figure it out. And that's a little bit more challenging. That's, I mean, defenses are always going to be trying to do things, but the simple fact that if you can stress a defense down the field and also have mobility, that, like you said, is what has been so so positive for Josh Allen. It's a great way to describe Lamar Jackson. It's even a, a, a reasonable way to describe Patrick Mahomes or some other quarterbacks that maybe aren't as widely thought of as rushers, but do provide that element. You can even go back to Russell Wilson in his heyday as a downfield passer who also had the mobility. And that is... The reason that Willis has been shooting up, I think, more than anything, right, is that a combination of arm strength and rushing. But as you say, the rest of this class has mobility too. And so it's really interesting. Now, we should go through the different profiles. You talked about Howell, where it feels like Howell is the one that has the least amount of red flags when you when you describe it. He, he showed that mobility and playmaking ability and the ability without as much skill position talent around him to then run for 800 yards and 11 touchdowns and still have pretty strong passing numbers, as you said, and be more of a dual threat dynamic playmaker that's carrying an offense in year three out of high school, as opposed to for Kenny Pickett, you noted was basically not good for four years. And then in his fifth year, and he got the extra because of COVID in his fifth year, he has the monster season. He's a, he's a, a little bit older. We also have the hand size issue, which has been brought up a ton. Maybe not a massive issue. The disc, you know, whatever double jointed thumb and all this stuff. I don't know. I, I I'm putting some weight into that. It is small. His hand measured small enough that I'm pretty concerned. Uh, you know, not like massively concerned, but with the other concerns, with the fact that the production wasn't there until he was 22 or 23 or whatever it was. I'm not excited about the fact that guys who have these smaller hands tend to have a lot of fumbles and and not necessarily be able to deliver the ball as accurate accurately. And the NFL football is a little different than college football. So there is, you know, stuff to this. Uh, and he had a lot of fumbles in college, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And then you have Ritter, who was the, the four year starter, never really fantastic passing numbers, good rushing, but not great rushing, but every season. And actually in his final season, he runs, he has basically the worst, rushing season of his career but his passing numbers do come up a little bit as he sort of develops more as a quarterback what i keep hearing about him from a lot of the film guys again i already kind of noted this but you have the basically ability to process ability to get through reads that is maybe not in spades among this five quarterback group but he's the one that people feel more comfortable about this ability to run an nfl offense but the knock that i keep hearing is that he doesn't have any of these like 
traits. He doesn't have this massive arm strength or these these clear like QB one traits necessarily. But with some mobility and fantasy, we don't necessarily need those. If he's good enough to play quarterback on the passing side with mobility, again, you start to get into these like Jalen Hurts comps, right? Like that's that's good. That's good to have. And then Corral, the big thing I keep hearing is that. Uh, and it's interesting with the stat that you noted from Travis May, where he removed play action and the jet motions, that a lot of Corral's passes were on RPOs. And there's a lot of college offenses built this way, but even more so at Ole Miss, where he's basically doing a run pass option where he basically has one read in the pass game. And if that read is there, he throws to that player. If not, then he hands the ball off more or less. And so he's he doesn't have as many reps, I don't think, at least from what I've what I understand reading defenses and there's a lot of concerns about that. And so when you talked about Travis's stat, it's interesting that Corral did not do very well there when you remove the play action, because a lot of these RPOs that become passes, they're going to be graded as play action plays. So that's sort of the concern with Corral. So you have this, that's sort of like the high level, as I understand it, breakdown of the quarterback class. But as you were putting it, even Pickett has some mobility, not a ton, but Corral and Howell and Ritter have pretty solid mobility, right? And then Willis is like high level mobility. And so with draft capital and mobility, you have this opportunity now in rookie drafts and in early best ball drafts, and especially in super flex startups like the TriFlex, like you were just talking about. We have Malik Willis going 401 as QB 15, way behind Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, but is likely to get similar draft capital and has really good rushing ability. So that doesn't make any sense because we don't even have negative knocks on him at the NFL level yet. Maybe he's not viewed as positively as a prospect, but what if he is just very good and we're just sort of wrong on that, right? You know, Lamar Jackson was not viewed favorably at this stage of his prospect season. And I'm not saying Malik Wills is going to be Lamar Jackson, but we see some of these issues crop up in scouting where people might just be wrong. And so Malik Willis seems like a clear buy at that spot. But even behind him, as you noted, we don't get another rookie in current Rotoviz Triflex startup ADP until the ninth round where Corral and Pickett are going. And the screenshot you sent me with the ADP doesn't even have Howell uh, or Ritter on it. So they're ninth round or later. You're talking about a class where nobody wants to take these guys. They're going well behind Kirk Cousins types. You're, you're talking about getting youth, rushing, actual upside compared to like Kirk Cousins, who might not even really have long-term job security at the NFL level any, anymore. And you can get them three rounds later. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And one of the things that I like to point out is that I'm wrong all the time. And so I'm not saying that these QB takes are going to end up aging well or being correct, but draft tactics are really important. And price is really important. And you have such a great, as you pointed out, the cost adjust, the risk that you're taking here compared to the reward, the cost is just so minimal, right? So we actually traded up for the 207 in our draft. So we would have the 205 and the 207 and be able to take two of the three QBs at least. Interestingly, the 206 didn't end up being a QB. It was David Bell. And we like Bell also. But when you look at where he's likely to go and and some of the things now that have cropped up with his profile compared to the value of QBs and Superflex, so now we have the choice of Pickett and Ritter at the 207. And we'll probably take Ritter for all the things that you're mentioning there, even though Pickett, again, may still be the first quarterback off the board in the reality draft. You mentioned Ritter's mobility. 
He's got good rushing numbers. One of the things that you do here is that he sort of moves and scrambles more to throw than to really generate a ton of rushing. But you see in, in all of these highlights how he generates the rushing touchdowns. And when he escapes, he can make those plays. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had 28 rushing touchdowns in college. He had more than a rushing touchdown per game in 2020. His passing touchdowns to interceptions overall were 87 to 28. He wasn't particularly good in 2019, but overall, again, just very steady across the board and someone who is a fantastic athlete. I mean, one of the things that is just so weird to me is that you continue to hear that the class isn't strong, but then when you listen to the reports on the individual guys, they're glowing. You know, one of the things I was really wanting to track during prospect season was Howell within the context of, okay, how did he go from being the easy QB one in this class to the fifth guy? Well, his, it was his weakest season, but it wasn't a weak season, especially in comparison to some of the other players. And then you listen to what the teams are saying about him. You listen to his, you know, throwing workouts at the combine and, and other different types of events. And, People are coming back. They, he's got a strong arm. He's a good leader. We really liked what he brought to the table here. No red flags, right? No red flags. And so it could be a thing where, I, because I'm so high on Howell, that I have somehow sought out almost all of the positive information. You, know, The human brain tends to be a little bit selective in terms of how it does some of those things. But you haven't heard the big red flags from evaluators and from teams that you would expect based on where he's being mocked. And so, and there are a lot of things too. I think maybe we all tend to go the, with the fast process through a lot of this stuff. So you pull up the mock draft and you look at the first round and Howell's not in this one. Well, that's a bad sign. You want your QB that you're taking in Superflex to be in the first round. You pull up this one, Ritter's not in the first round. You pull up this one, Corral's not in the first round. But then you go and you look, you know, you mentioned the grinding the mocks. You have the two and three round mocks. All these mocks where they're not going in the first round, they're going in those next 15 picks. So even just that element, I think, may be kind of creating an anchoring scenario where we're thinking, okay, I don't want a non-first round QB in a bad class as part of what I'm doing in fantasy, and yet it's exactly what you need to do. As we talk through this, so much of it goes back to the quote that I love to reference from time to time from an article I wrote as a young writer that everyone seemed to really love, but somebody on Twitter mentioned one particular passage that they really, really loved. It was about how the league was changing and more three wide receiver sets and all of these things. And that line was written by my editor, Sean Siegel, who <laughs> very graciously helped me sum up my 2000 words of thoughts in one sentence. And somebody picked out as the best sentence in the whole piece and I didn't even write. But we, we reference it from time to time it's this this comment. Um, I believe the, the 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 phrase was, "Drafters every year tend to essentially tend to overlearn the lessons from the prior year." We're seeing that a little bit here too, as well, where this class is not as is viewed as positively as 2021's rookie class, and so many people were so excited about 2020's rookie class, including me. I thought it was a great strategy in every one of my redraft leagues and my best balls and everything to get exposure to the 2021 rookie QB class. One of the things that held back my teams the most this year, even though it was a very successful year or this past year, but not going with enough early QB exposure and going with a lot of these 
builds where I had like a, a Fields and a Fitzpatrick, which just like sank some teams because Fitzpatrick gets hurt right away. And I thought he'd be this great bridge quarterback. And Fields, obviously, I'm starting and and was horrible for the first half of the season for, for fantasy, especially. But the lesson I think that everyone learned was that, okay, we were way too optimistic on rookie quarterbacks being productive right away, which the year prior, we had reason to be. We had Justin Herbert having a very strong rookie season. Uh, Tua didn't. Who's the top? Oh, Burrow. Burrow also had a really nice stretch in that class. And so there was, we were sort of overlearning 2020 going into 2021. Look at this great 2021 class. They have mobility, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, even behind Lawrence, who has some sneaky mobility himself. Hey, maybe even Zach Wilson's interesting. We thought the 2021 rookie QB class was going to be great. And there was reason to think that, but maybe we were overlearning 2020's lessons a little bit too much. And maybe we should have been a little bit more concerned. But now it's clear that we've overlearned it the wrong way, the other way. I mean, I think that's so obvious. Yes, this class is less uh viewed less favorably than 2021 not just by evaluators but by expected draft position and probably by draft capital right when we actually see the draft but to your point some of these teams that are being quiet about the quarterbacks might actually take some of these guys a little higher than we think you've said and we started the show talking about that all five might go in the top 45 picks we might see all five in the first round it would not be that crazy to see some of these teams that are in the early second try to trade into the back end of the first and take a quarterback we've seen teams do this the Ravens did it with Lamar Jackson because then you get the fifth-year option. You want to get that quarterback with that first-round first contract where you get the, the fifth-year option on it. Once we see all that draft capital come in, people are going to respond. But this also may linger throughout the rest of the summer just because of the lessons from 2021 and because people are not as high on this class. So uh, the point that I want to drive home is quarterback – evaluation is probably the hardest position when you say, Sean, to evaluate at, from a fantasy perspective. I think we know some things that we need to look at at running back and tight end. We certainly can look at the metrics for a receiver and we always are and always do. But quarterback in particular is one where the metrics are not always necessarily the, the best evaluator. Film doesn't necessarily always get it right. Sometimes guys just bust. It's a, it's a very difficult position to play. It's sometimes described as the hardest position to play in all sports. And so there's a whole mental aspect as well as the physical aspect. And so what makes a great quarterback isn't always necessarily clear until we see it. But there are so many quarterbacks who have succeeded that have been, had similar red flags as these ones. So like that's the biggest thing that I'm I'm remembering from you know my years of doing this. You go back to like a Patrick Mahomes. There were a lot of people who thought he had too many limitations as a quarterback. You know, Deshaun Watson was in that same class, and, and his limitation was he didn't throw hard enough. He didn't have the velocity. And people, I thought, were overlooking that he was just good in college at Clemson and won a national championship. And that's part of what I'm saying with Ritter as well. It seems like people are saying he, he doesn't have a strong enough arm. And I'm like, well, what about the fact that he was, you know, good as a, as a team leader and led Cincinnati to the college football playoff? I think that matters a little bit. And so anyway... We don't necessarily know, as you say, when we look at these individual players, the, the evaluations all seem pretty glowing. So we don't necessarily know that this class is going to be bad. There's a very real possibility that 2022 class is a lot better than 2021. Maybe that's most likely based on how bad 2021's class was in year one. Maybe right now we should be expecting from these five QBs a better overall player than anyone we saw last year and you know a better class, three or four of them to be successful as opposed to maybe it looks like one or two from the 2021 class will ultimately be long-term successful. So it's it's just, to me, it gets back to that line that you had in that article years ago where everyone is just overlearning 
this lesson from last year. And no one wants to bet on rookie QBs right now because we got burned on it last year. And this class isn't looked at favorably. And there's all these things that are that are coming together. But that's why it's like that's why we're doing a whole show on this right now. It's so important to emphasize that's the opportunity, right? It is. And I, I do get frustrated from time to time when you're in these super flex leagues and and one manager is just taking all the quarterbacks to the detriment of their own roster. It's like, if you're doing something that works for you, that's fine, but don't take all the quarterbacks lose. And then the rest of us are, are starting a quarterback and then somebody else in the flex. There's maybe a little bit of a sportsmanship thing going on there, but again, I mean, it's up to you how you decide to execute the strategy in your league. It's a viable strategy. It can be frustrating for the rest of us sometimes, Having said that, this is a great opportunity to build up your QB depth in super flex leagues in an environment where you've got some guys aging out. We have some retirements. We have some players who probably aren't going to be in the NFL that much longer. We've got some bridge QBs out there. We've got this 2021 class that could almost entirely bust and open up new jobs. And so if you're able to add guys from this class and build the depth from your roster, I mean, this could be something that actually changes your fortunes within that dynasty league for the next decade. Now, you know, I say that we we put together such a strong take on this. And so maybe now the most likely thing that will happen is that Mariota and Trubisky and Goff and even Drew Locke beat these guys out and they never see the field. And it's those crafty veterans who will win the day but make sure you're creating some exposure to qbs in these situations don't ruin your super flex team because you either massively overpay for quarterbacks or you just don't have the quarterback depth at all one of the things that was really jarring in the pre-cut down time in the rv triflex leagues that we did last year is that there were some moves made for veteran bridge quarterbacks that just were absolutely crazy in terms of the price. And that happens when managers put themselves in the situation where they don't feel like they have the position covered in order to be competitive. You have to make some of these moves, figure out a way to not pay, right? Everything about dynasty is looking for the edges in price in that year. If you, you can beat people with player evaluation. We have a lot of great stuff with the Road of His Rookie Guide. Ben, you've done a lot of great stuff through the years. I know you have some cool articles coming out. It's not that you want to ignore player evaluation. You're going to be right more often than you're wrong, and that portion of it will allow you little by little to gain edges in your league also. But you have to add the price element to it to really build this juggernaut. And that's it's price both in terms of drafting but then understanding how that's going to lead into the trade market in the future you can position yourself to where you win trades not because you got the better of the other guy but simply because the market has to move in your favor and and to just talk about the application of that for a second i mean i think you know i i talked about the single qb league a lot and i all i have is matt ryan and daniel jones i don't feel like i have a starting quarterback a couple years from now and it's single qb but also those guys i don't think have particularly strong upside and so it's it's definitely a position that i was going to need to address at some point sort of in a rebuild. And I took both Corral and Ritter because it felt like, okay, this 2022 class, this is the year where I don't have to pay to at least swing at that upside. But now that we've had this conversation and this, I don't think is, 
know, something I would recommend to any just any roster, but my roster is probably not going to compete for a title this year. I just sent out a trade offer during this conversation to try to get back into the fourth round of this rookie draft and now also take Sam Howell, who still hasn't gone. I expected when these quarterbacks got tipped into that they would all go. Kenny Pickett did go right after I took the other two, but Howell's still sitting here uh, seven or eight picks after I took the the two quarterbacks. And I might carry five quarterbacks this league, this year. It's a 30-man dynasty league, but I have some questionable players that I can cut. And why not carry all three of them, see where they go in the draft, see how they play out in year one, and hope that I solve my quarterback question long-term because I'm identifying in this class and in this year that this is where I can cheaply try to do that. And I don't even necessarily need to be right if I get all three of them. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, obviously you have to be right on one of them, but I might wind up with two or three good young quarterbacks in a couple of years and, and be just getting rid of Ryan and Daniel Jones. And then I'm set at quarterback for however long where I can trade them or what, what have you. But I'm in a position now where I'm going to, again, like I said, I will never carry five quarterbacks in a single QB league, but I'm going to try to trade back in and get another one because the cost is so low to get into these picks. Nobody wants to take the quarterbacks, but they're also not really wanting to take the other positions necessarily because we're at some really questionable names at this point in the draft. So hearing your positive comments about Howell and having passed him up with my other two picks, my answer is going to be, I'm just going to go take a third one and it is a lot of roster spots to come into quarterback. Like I said, not something I would suggest in every situation, but I do think in this scenario, it's probably the smart way to play it for this roster where as I'm trying to build to 2024, maybe, um, or 20, at least hopefully in 2023, I should have quarterback in a better spot because of this draft at a very, very low cost. And that's the perfect way to play it. I think you mentioned that Willis went in the first round of your draft. I know that in most of single QB leagues that I am in Trevor Lawrence went in the first round last year Josh Allen was not expensive I had him on a huge number of leagues because of that some of these teams have both Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen it seems strange to think because people really do not put much emphasis on the QB and the one QB leagues but just the fact that Willis and Lawrence these last couple of years are going in the first round shows that there is some market for that there is some need for that you build it up. One of the things that I recommend people do, there's a lot of skepticism among people who play a lot of dynasty and who, you know, go through and every year, you know, put out the pieces showing, look, second round picks basically don't hit. Third round picks basically don't hit. We tend to think of the, you know, Elijah Mitchells or the Kenny Galladay's or the Aaron Jones, but basically these picks don't hit. But you do have positions that are actually being drafted in a range where they would hit in the reality draft going in rounds where you can use those picks, right? It's not always the case, but you use your second round pick, especially if it's not one of the first three or four second round picks where maybe you're getting a first round type of talent who slides. You use your second round pick at tight end and over time you get the players who hit. You don't have to worry about that position and you have a position that's difficult to fill, filled. You use your third round pick on the QBs that slide because first round QBs go in the third round of single QB leagues is an easy way to use that third round pick in a way that makes it so you're not the person who's ever so desperate for a QB that you give up real trade value later on for it. But also then you're in the position that when someone else needs that, you can make that trade. You can get that first round pick that would have been the Trevor Lawrence or Malik Willis. You know, if those guys are going in the first round, obviously a Josh Allen has value in that way and look right. at so just, 
you can use your picks every year and you can get those picks back in trades because people will throw those picks away knowing that if you use them at running back and wide receiver, you know, you're, you're probably going to miss. And I know we got to go, but I would say another way to, to put what you just said is look at the quarterbacks that, that you mentioned, Sean, earlier in this episode, our first round picks in order of his Triflex dynasty leagues right now. Josh Allen, you noted, was not expensive in rookie drafts. Patrick Mahomes, I can't recall, but he wasn't super expensive, right? He was like a late first maybe because he didn't go at the top of the class. Justin Herbert, definitely not expensive, more like Josh Allen. Like you'd get him a lot later. Lamar Jackson, not vastly expensive. I remember his rookie year, I took him in a startup in like the fifth round. So that's why I was sort of comping him to Malik Willis during the show. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick, was the number one overall pick in in rookie drafts. Kyler Murray, similar, was going very, very high in rookie drafts. Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson, two more guys in Prescott especially, who were not expensive in rookie drafts. I mean, the the guys that you actually want right now in dynasty fantasy football at quarterback, a lot of them were not the guys that you wanted in those classes or were going really high in those classes in rookie drafts. You could get them a little bit cheaper. It's not just Herbert who gets brought up a lot, but your point on Allen, very well taken. But also, like I said, Lamar, Dak, some of these guys, they were reasonably cheap those years. Even Mahomes and Watson, reasonably cheap i don't think watson was going particularly late maybe not my homes either but they weren't like the one-on-ones right if i'm not mistaken well russell wilson too someone else yeah. i mean that's a little bit further back but you're talking about a guy who had what people wanted for fantasy but because the nfl was a little bit more skeptical you know you're not going to have to pay that price but as long as you're stocking up on these types of profiles and these types of players you're going to come out ahead and Jalen Hurts, right there in the third round, is another one um, who everyone was like, yeah, this is a great guy to stash in Superflex. I heard 15 analysts say that that offseason, but he was still cheap and you were still able to do that. And he has panned out to be a very strong piece to have. He's going in the third round of startups in, in Superflex leagues right now. And then even at tight end, I mean, some of obviously Kyle Pitts and some of these, you know, big names are were, were very vaunted i think mark andrews was very highly regarded as well but like george kittle was a little bit forgotten about your big guy last year was pat fryermuth who was being forgotten about because of pitts great guy to take at the back of the second round he kept saying that he's moved way up uh albert okui bunam was another guy that i know you liked a couple of years ago for his athletic profile and you have him everywhere and now you know, now that they traded Noah Fant, things worked in his favor because he's good and, and things are very, very positive for him and people are very, very excited about him. So that also speaks to what you were saying about taking these tight ends. Dallas Goddard is another one. Taking these tight ends in the second round of rookie drafts and just sort of stockpiling. And you can move on from them if they're misses, right? But you can keep kind of using these lower, cheaper, cheaper uh, rookie picks to try to fill those positions. And once you get a hit, okay, now you have a guy who can fill that position for you for a few years while you continue to employ that strategy. I love it. It's one of the things that I've learned from you that I, I think is so uh, that I value the most. I mean, even just last year, I know I took Lawrence in the first round of a single QB league where I really needed to address quarterback. And it was the worst pick I made in all my rookie drafts last year. I just so regret doing that, but I felt like I had to take him even ahead of, I wanted to take fields and Lance. I couldn't trade back. I knew I needed to get a quarterback and I felt like I should pay the price to get it. I just wish I would have played that differently. I probably could have got Mac Jones in the late second and I would have been even happier right now. And I would have another great first round pick along with that, you know, uh, Rashad Bateman or somebody on that roster, but that's not how I went. And, and that's uh, a pick I regret. And anyway, I think this is a, a huge lesson for dynasty roster building that I love as well. 
and you mentioned Mac Jones there too, and, and he's someone else. We tend to think of last year's class in such a negative light, but if you took the last guy, then you're probably not sitting on a league winner, but you're sitting on someone in best ball formats who once the Patriots do kind of get this stuff going is going to give you a few scores. If you're in super flex, he's going to give you more points than a non-QB once he gets going here. And so, again, it, we really want to focus on price. We really want to get these guys. We're very excited about the draft, and we do have to leave it there today. But we'll have some awesome best ball content relating to this. Also, I'm still looking to do some different drafts where you know really try and get all of these guys at the very end. We'll see if that's possible or not. We're doing the final rounds of our Rotoviz staff underdog league and Michael Dubner will have the results of those late rounds and who the best sort of flyer picks are, the best deep sleepers in his upcoming article. If you want to go over and sign up for underdog, you can use the coupon code ROTOVIZ. I like the ones that are easy to remember for me, at least that one is get a hundred dollar deposit match from underdog with that. That'll do it for today's edition of stealing bananas. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretsch whom you can follow at yards per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for stealing signals and don't miss the content that's coming around the NFL draft. If you want to join us at Rotoviz, we'd love to have you guys. We're going to have a huge flurry of dynasty draft and best ball content over the next six weeks. The coupon code there is Rotoviz Radio 2022 to get 10% off. Ben and I would love it if you keep those ratings and reviews coming. You guys have just been unbelievable with that. Uh, just refresh it if you don't want to go back in and, and do a whole thing, or if, if you've given us that in the past and you want to give us a little bump, you know, we appreciate that so much. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get these shows as soon as they release. And we'll back, be back with you again early next week. We'll talk to you then. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.